Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to From Bob's Office. I'm Jake Mathis. It is currently 8.14 on Monday, April 20th, 2020. Joining me today... Whoops. You're <laughs> muted. Yeah, I fixed it. That is 8.14 p.m., uh, not a.m., so we're doing this late at night, um, late at night. Late compared to what we normally do. This is the latest we've ever done one of these. Anyway, <laughs> I'm Jacob Bomber. The next voice you hear belongs to a graduate of Servite High School and Cal State Long Beach, where he studied mechanical engineering. He's also a member of the Los Angeles Aviators, despite the current lack of our season. He's a huge Dodger fan, sigh, and general baseball nerd, and goes by the nickname Debo, ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Anderson. Oh, hello. <laughs> That sounded worse than when you said it the first time. <laughs> we practiced that. Oh, man. I did not expect that. I was drawing it out. Have you ever seen that, where that's from? No. I think. It's from John Mulaney, who's one of my favorite comedians. But he had this special called Too Much Tuna, where it was a prank show. And on the prank show, all he did was just give people too much tuna. Okay. <laughs> and that was the entire prank. And then the cameras would pan to them as it was a sandwich with just a little bit too much tuna in it. <laughs> he just started what? with, oh, what hello. <laughs> That's, I don't think I like that. Anyway, Jake, how was your weekend? <laughs> um, you know, I've invested a lot of my weekend into a video game like normal. Um, I've been grinding Destiny, too. Um, I realize now I should have bought it a long time ago, because it's a lot of fun. But it's fun, because all my friends are playing with me. That's another thing we all just do, and that's kind of what I do right now. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's very exciting. Yeah, not really. Uh, This is how my life goes. Yeah. What did I do? I recorded a podcast with another. I didn't record one of us, clearly, but I have a friend who they decided these two guys decided to start their own podcast and they do like 35, 40 minute shows. And so they had me join them last week. And that was very entertaining because one of my friends is just very off color and he just asks whatever question is on his mind and they take hard left turns in the middle of a conversation. So we were talking about something like mildly serious and having a pretty genuine hard conversation. And in the middle of it, the other guy was just like, I have a question. What's the best Disney soundtrack? It's like, (laughs) Oh, I guess this is what we're talking about now. Wait, Um, what, which one is that? uh, My friend Lindsay and his friend Cody. I thought you were saying that you were going to be on um, Jacob Nielsen. So I was like, why wasn't I invited? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, not that one. You could have a mildly serious conversation about that, though. About, oh, we definitely had a serious conversation <laughs> because they both voted Mulan and I was beside myself. <laughs> that that did not go over well with me. Nemo. Um, soundtrack? <laughs> Name one song from Nemo. Give me a break. So. 
I was going to say under the sea, but I realized that's not. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, He also, Lindsay forgot the name of Darth Vader at one point in conversation. (laughs) He he called him the dark guy, and it was so funny. (laughs) Because he, oh, it was, anyway, if you want to listen to it, the podcast is called... (laughs) The podcast is called The Whiskey Room. Um, there is colorful language, so I warn those of you ahead of time in case that matters. Um, but it was pretty entertaining. So The Whiskey Room, they have code names that they use, like pseudonyms. So their code names are Julep and Hawthorne. And so my code name was Long Island because it was all like alcoholic based and I felt Long Island was clever, but yeah. I like it. Um, they sell juleps at um, Disneyland, and they're very good. That is where Lindsay came up with his nickname. Not necessarily Disneyland, but the idea of, like, a mint julep or whatever. Yeah, they're great. So, Not yeah, to go down this whole road again, but definitely best Disney soundtrack is Tarzan. See, I put Tarzan up there with, for me, it's Lion King. That's and, what my go-to would have been probably too, Lion King or Tarzan. But Tarzan is up there, Aladdin is up there, and Little Mermaid oh, yeah. is up there. Those four are like my top four, and you can't convince me otherwise. I don't know, man. But, high School Musical is pretty like, high. Well, that doesn't count. Troy Bolton? I hate that High School Musical. Icon. <laughs> um, besides that, I watched a ton of stuff on Netflix. Um, got caught up on some series that I meant to. Got through season two of Sex Education. Got through I'm Not Okay, or I'm Not Okay With This. I forgot what the actual title is. Um, got through Umbrella Academy. I highly endorse Umbrella Academy. That show is great. And I am 20 minutes into the first episode of Ozark. So after spending a lot of time in movies, I'm now working my way through TV shows, and I'm happy about it. And Watch Community. That has been, I'm not watching. I don't like those types of shows. I don't like 30-minute random sitcoms like that. They're so funny. Like, there are very few that I'm willing to go out of my way. I prefer dramatic things. I prefer community just does not, besides Young Sheldon. Like, Young Sheldon's Terrible. hilarious. I love your, Young Sheldon. The whole, <laughs> the whole Big Bang Theory series oh, is awful. It is. The yeah. whole oh, thing awful. you just brought up is terrible. Like, throw that oh. window. The only, like, sitcom comedy you like is... Young Sheldon? Yeah, Jake, I actually, I gotta go. Current one. I gotta leave. <laughs> I, so this is not yeah, okay. I got something else to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, this will be our shortest interview ever. Not enjoy Young seven Sheldon. Minutes. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so anyway, how has Debo been spending his quarantine life? Debo has been spending his quarantine life uh, growing a mustache. That's been priority number one. <laughs> and what have the reactions been of people in your life to said mustache? Oh, all super positive. Yeah. I all, yeah. All great <laughs> reviews, of course. <laughs> Nothing about how I can't go near a school anymore or anything like that. <laughs> I've gotten that one before. Um, what else have been up to? Oh, stretching's been a big one. I. <laughs> you're the first, you're definitely the first person to tell us that. 
to tell you that they've been stretching over the quarantine? Yeah. Well, I have probably the tightest hamstrings on this planet. I don't know why I want to give that up because it could be a world record, but I can't. I don't know how you would grade that. I don't know how you would measure that. That would be you a weird count hamstring. the amount of knots in the hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll let Either the doctor way. take care of that. I've been doing a ton of stretching. I can now, after two and a half weeks, touch my toes, which I was about at my knee level before. So in two weeks. That's I've as gone far from, as you could reach down before. You could only reach just below your knee. Jake, it was so I can't, bad. I can't touch my toes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'd say my long arms help, but I also have long legs. So, <sighs> And I'm not super flexible, but I can touch, like, the top of my foot without having to do much. I got to like half of my shin. For somebody yeah. as agile and movement oriented as you are, I'm surprised by the lack of flexibility. Yeah, crazy inflexible, but that's why I also decided to go to a chiropractor because I thought I had a bunch of issues with my back, but then the chiropractor ultimately told me it's all hamstrings. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I should be I mean, stretching that's- like crazy. That's good work, then, that you've put in that much time stretching and improved that much. That's the nice part about working from home, because I now get to work from in my office that is also my room (laughs) where I sleep, which is super cool. (laughs) Are you good at secluding yourself and not getting distracted? I'm pretty good at the seclusion part. I just shut the door. Um, But distractions are really just my phone. Other than that, I think I can stay pretty locked in. But then I think the nice part is, is usually at work, I would take breaks, like walking around the office or like go to the break room or something like that and just hang out for 10 minutes on my phone. But now instead I can, for 10 minutes, just break out the foam roller, do some stretches. One time I was even working out like while on a conference call, (laughs) like doing (laughs) like a full (laughs) bicep workout and (laughs) all that. Totally doable. Yeah. That didn't end up well, though, because I was mid-workout when I was told to start talking about my part, and then I was <laughs> gasping for air as <laughs> I came back off. <laughs> I don't imagine anyone, I mean, they might have noticed, but I don't imagine anyone would have commented in a professional setting like that. Why I was breathing so heavy. Yeah, that'd be Talking about HVAC. Like, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Um, other than that, a lot of baseball. I've been playing since the quarantine started up, since no ultimate's been happening. I've just been going back home and every weekend I just check in with my brother and we go to a park and we just throw the baseball around. Um, he started playing in a rec league where they use wooden bats and so he has a wooden bat. Nice. And so he's been like pitching to me. I've been pitching to him. It's been super fun. So do you have like dozens of balls so you can go fetch three. them all after? <laughs> oh, that would be so frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. Oh my gosh. I hit these massive dingers and we have to I'm run sure, yeah. so you just far to launch get them. 400 feet past the fence every time. Right, right. <laughs> a warm up hit. For, for the people who don't know you and can't see you, uh, you want to give your height and weight? Six foot four, two forty. Yeah. Minus. Uh, no. Five, five foot eight, 
which I tell people is if I stretch in the morning, which I've been doing. Yeah, so, so it's accurate now. Now it's accurate. Um, and a solid like 140, 145. Yeah. I could be taller if I stretch. Yeah, I <laughs> think so. It, I'm not a doctor, but yes. I think if it probably adds maybe a quarter inch. Maybe. Definitely if you sleep longer. What are you showing? <laughs> I am currently stretching, yeah. Yeah. When you sleep, you definitely gain a small amount because everything loosens up and your bones like spread out fractionally. Don't sleep, so that kind of makes sense. <laughs> I need to go into hibernation then. Yeah. Before we start anything serious, or unless you're not done. No, I think that's a pretty good wrap up of my quarantine life right now. Playing so, board games, reading books. Yeah. Legit. That's pretty much what everyone does. So, before we get into things serious, I have a quick discussion I forgot to tell Jacob about. I mean, it's probably better that he doesn't know. Yep, this is, this uh, is a surprise to me. So I Actually, I think we should do this all the time because I think it would be a fun thing to do. So stretch For you to surpri- have surprise discussion questions? Yeah. I'm down. Hey, is hard tacos or soft tacos? Hard. Because there's one right answer. I can answer this for you right now because I have five of them right next to me, and it's hard tacos. <laughs> hard tacos uh, from Del Taco. I am leaving now. <laughs> he doesn't like Del Taco. No, no, I ate Del Taco today for lunch. That's why oh, and this. Why this happened is because my stepdad ordered me tacos, and it came hard, but he said he ordered them soft, so maybe maybe he did. I'll give him credit. Um, but they came hard, and I was very disappointed because I don't want an inconvenient chip. I want a soft blanket of meat and cheese in my mouth. <laughs> Just have a That's burrito. That's the worst then. explanation ever. No, a soft taco is a warm, cuddly, nice blanket of food. Where a where a hard taco is a a weird bag of chips that is a weird shape and. <laughs> <laughs> it depends what type of hard taco, like a Del Taco or Taco Bell hard taco, in its pre whatever shape is. It's doable, but it's not the best. Like a taco from a taco place like Great Mex or something like that, where it's a fried, you know, it's homemade tortilla, fried Evo's. <laughs> That's another thing. Wow, you bit that you bit that really quietly because you're not muted and I can hear it. I was hoping the sound would happen. Oh, um, I was really trying to not make the sound. <laughs> oh, I was I was ready for it. Jake is that, not opposed to food sounds on recording. That, yeah, I do that so. all the time. I, like before we record, I always like open a soda in the mic. Um, you called it a soda. I'm proud of you. A soda, sorry. Um, and so another thing is that you have to freaking move your head to eat a taco, a hard shell. The soft one, you just go like this and just eat it. I did have to just rotate my head sideways to eat that taco. Yeah, see, that's inconvenient having to like. For a taco. It's endorsing food. good movement of your head and neck. Because how often do you, you know, stretch your neck out and turn and, Pretty often. and do that? Oh, yeah? Yeah, I sleep in really weird positions. That's not good. That's the opposite of good. That's why you got to stretch it out during the day so you don't pinch a nerve or anything that what, like that in sleep. Is that what Del Taco employees should be asking people at the drive-thru is, like, how well they've stretched their neck? Whether they should have hard <laughs> have soft shell tacos. 
Yeah. No, but you're well, both wrong. Soft tacos for the win. Especially because that's like how they're supposed to be enjoyed. I don't know. It's two good, three. I do. good homemade tortilla fried in the correct shape. That's a that's a winner for me. But yeah. Solid, no. solid discussion question. If you uh, agree or disagree with any of us, you know, feel free to comment, send us a message, get angry at us. It's fine. Except nobody responds to any of those prompts ever. So. Yeah, so I think I'm going to do one for every podcast now. I'm just going to have a small discussion we can do before we get into the serious stuff. Well, then you got to post the day before so it gives people 20 hours to respond. No! What I'm doing, no, it's off in my head. I instantly think of it. If I run out, I'll do it. Oh, I thought you wanted to like set it up for the viewers like we used to do at the sports desk. And I used to do, did once. And we, have them I vote mean, so then we can incorporate that. We could do that too, I guess. I, that's fine. <laughs> better give me a good question. We're making question. it up as we go. Clearly this isn't, yeah. Um, well, if we're just going to have random discussions, did either of you see the question I posted on Instagram? Uh, I didn't know enough to contribute. I'll check it right now. It was about um, so, Kirill Abdul-Bajar, right? <laughs> I think you're going for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. And uh, he is technically part of the conversation. Um, the discussion was started because ESPN posted a video of Jalen Rose and a couple other people discussing the greatest basketball player of all time situation. And Jalen's point was everyone thinks the conversation is between Jordan and LeBron and Jalen very much sides that it's Jordan. And he is asking who decided that LeBron had already become second and what about these other people? And so he specifically named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell and Magic Johnson saying, what has LeBron done that has pushed him past Magic Johnson already? Um, and so that stuff's up for debate. But I posted and I said, I would add Wilt, as in Wilt Chamberlain, into being one of the top five greatest basketball players of all time. He didn't have quite the longevity that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell had. But he scored 100 points in a game one and averaged 55 points for a season once, and averaged 25 rebounds for a season once. And because one year he felt like it, led the league in assists. So I always include Wilt in these conversations because his stats are insane. So in posting that, somebody I know responded and said, Wilt played in a nobody era. In this league now, he wouldn't be anything relevant, which I took very much offense on behalf of Will Chamberlain for to assume that one of the most athletic dominant seven foot players ever would be would hardly be relevant is insane. That, so that's, asked, that's pretty rough. Hardly relevant to stretch. People, yeah. Would he would he be the most athletic dominant player in the league? Maybe not, but he would definitely still be an all-star and probably still top 10 player in the league, I think. So Yeah, probably not putting up a 100-point game, but still well, no. probably averaging a double-double. Yeah, oh, he's for sure averaging 20, 24, 13. 
Like, if Andre Drummond can average 15 rebounds a game, Will Chamberlain can average 15 rebounds a game. Give me a break. So That's actually probably yeah. a fair person to assume he'd be like. And that's just defensively and rebounding. Will Chamberlain way better offensive player than Andre Drummond, and Andre Drummond averages 15 or 18 points. So to say that Wilt wouldn't be relevant is just asinine. And uh, out of the 22 votes on it so far, 20 agree that Chamberlain would be relevant and two yeah. think he would not be. And so... Uh, I saw another one kind of like that yeah. with... Uh, if Russell Westbrook played in the 70s and 80s, he would have six rings by now. I thought it was interesting. I mean, that implies that he alone is beating the Celtics and the Lakers? I don't think so. In the 80s alone, no. I mean, it depends what team he's on. If, if he's on the Lakers with Magic and James Worthy and stuff, then yeah, I'm sure he would. But aside from that, no dice. I think the hard part with those conversations, though, especially for myself because I'm kind of younger, is I've never seen Wilt Chamberlain play. I've never seen really even Michael Jordan play. Yeah. And so to to debate any of that is super irrelevant to me because I haven't seen those guys play myself. I've just heard stories. I've seen a couple highlights. But that doesn't really tell a good picture. It is really hard to go cross generation like any sport it's hard it's a different basketball looks different now than it did 12 years ago so it's just like if you put if you took Steph Curry and James Harden and took them into the 70s and 80s those guys a aren't making any three pointers cuz it didn't exist and b if they tried to attack the rim in any way shape or form they would be knocked on their butts repeatedly like this small. is a very different league than what existed back then. Way like more LeBron, LeBron going up against Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain or Bill Ambeer or Robert Parrish, like LeBron would still be dominant, but he would be getting destroyed in the paint in a way that he does not get now, and he gets hard. He gets hit hard now, so it was just a completely having the comparison is crazy. It's it's too difficult. Baseball has different eras. Football has different eras. Everything changes. So to just outright say he wouldn't be relevant is irresponsible as a basketball fan. So <clears throat> that was my little rant. Uh, <laughs> I like that we had two random <laughs> nothing to do with anything. Uh, Does that mean I have to anyway. come up with like a random rant? Please. <laughs> Uh, you, you can. What's something that you feel passionate about that you want us to disagree on? To disagree on? Oh, man. I mean, I mean, we all kind of agreed on the Will Chamberlain thing. So what's something you think that, you know, could be mildly uh, confrontational? As we go through dead air, and I'll just, you know, talk to fill this Yeah. <laughs> Dead, dead silence. If, if uh, don't feel pressure, we have a, we can just go on, and at some point, if we're talking and you think of something, we can just stop and address it. Yeah, we'll call it a go back. We'll circle back to this. Yeah, pause, rewind. Um, so we might as well just start with talking about baseball because that's been a part of your life, basically your entire life. Um, take whichever route you want. Are my basic questions, and Jake can be thinking of some too, baseball wise. 
are describe when and how you became a Dodger fan and what it's meant to you to be a Dodger fan your whole life, as Jake sits back in his chair and discussed. And <laughs> uh, just when did you start playing baseball? How long did you play baseball? What did your playing career look like? Okay. So. We could start with being a fan of the Dodgers. You okay. may actually not know this story, so you might look at me in disgust. But... <laughs> The reason I actually started becoming a Dodger fan, technically was a Dodger fan my whole life, but really didn't watch them. I watched the Angels. Um, and then we went through a dead period. So we, we were big fans of the Angels through the 2002 World Series. Could tell you every player on that team. And then yeah. for some reason, for like six, eight years, we just didn't watch baseball at all. That's, just our yeah, entire what? family turned it off. No one watched anything. And there was a day where I was kind of sitting around. Football season had ended. <laughs> Jake couldn't put his Angels jersey on. Jake, I will go put my Kershaw jersey on right now. Uh, Don't trigger me like that. <laughs> One of the few items of clothing I brought here. <laughs> but there was a there was a day where I just was kind of bored of just football because football in the off season is awful. You can read as many reports and mock drafts as you want, but there's a solid dead period, and there's nothing going on. I needed some more sports in my life. I live for off-season football. <laughs> for the combine draft and all that? There's so much good stuff happening right now. I can talk about that for like 10 minutes right now. It's something that happened today. <laughs> there's good stuff, but it's like it's the media is just over overdoing it all the time because they just don't have enough. Yeah, and I... For as much as I enjoy every sport, I really never care about the drafts at all. Unless it's like a really, who's going to be number one? But like, unless that is up for, you know, discussion or unless my teams have a top pick, like, I don't care. And the Rams don't have a first round pick. And I had a frustrating (laughs) offseason anyway. I create my own mock drafts and everything. Yeah. Thank you. Joe yes. Burrow's gonna be one and Chase Young's gonna be two and who cares? <laughs> I used to read I used I to read the Chase seven Young's round mock drafts. Uh, I think Chase Young's not going to. What? Why would trade. he not? I think there's gonna be a trade for number two. And then they'll still take him at two? No, someone's gonna take a quarterback. You think someone's taking Tua number two overall? Nope. Not Tua. Justin Herbert's going to? Yep. Jake Fromm. There's no chance. No, Jake Fromm's no going about sixth round to Green Bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jake Fromm is <laughs> not going anywhere above the fifth round. Sixth round, I'm taking him as my backup quarterback. You think Justin Herbert's going second overall? To the San Di- to the Los Angeles Chargers. Can I bet you? No. <laughs> the mock draft, not a full. <laughs> but no, give him this... give him like ten to one odds or something. Yeah, like 10 to 1 for second round, or for second overall, 8 to 1 third overall, 6 to 1 fourth overall, like that. Jake will eat 10 things of mustard. Ew. To, no, mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Ew. mayonnaise. <laughs> I will vomit both of those up. Compared to one. Um, there, I was like this close to going to this year's draft. That's true, because you guys go to Vegas frequently. Yeah, well, I don't. My parents do. But um, because it, it, if it also would have been Ian's graduation. Oh, yeah. Ian's supposed to graduate on Friday, but that's not happening. 
But I, if that wasn't this, I mean, I was going to record, Ian, Ian is graduating. He's just not doing it in person in school. Yes. <laughs> I'm graduating him. In, not throwing not throwing Ian under the bus. No, we're we're throwing Ian a graduation in June. I see what you did there. What? I said we're not throwing him under the bus. You said no, we're throwing him a graduation. Oh, I, I didn't even notice I did that. Look at me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. I okay. Anyway, I completely interrupted Debo. Oh, we're good. Uh, continuing off, so it was transitioning not away from football, just needing something in between. And it was the exact time when Yasiel Puig had his breakout into MLB. That's Jake. Jake, I see, you put your, I see you put your hand on your face. That is my least favorite player in baseball. But I'll tell you why I loved him, though. Because Yasiel Puig, I think maybe that six-year gap, the reason we didn't watch is because baseball wasn't that exciting. And it's most of the time when you look at the old school baseball, it's not. There's no bat flips. There's no licking of the bat, as Yasiel Puig would do. Nobody. He's the only one that does that. <laughs> well, now there's one. Now, now it no happens. No one should do yeah, that. It's not, like he, it's not like he ushered in this group of other players that do that, like how there's a bunch of people that bat flip. Like, no one else does that. That's true. No one should do that. Okay, but anyway, the part that was exciting was – he would hit a single. He would hit a single up the middle. And normal baseball is you hit first base, you round first base a few steps, and then you jog your way back. But instead, Yasuo Puig would be bolting out of the box, hit first, and just go right to second, and just pressure a center fielder to make a really good throw into second. And a lot of the times, these guys just wouldn't, and then he'd get a double out of something that everybody in baseball would just call a routine single. And it's not like he revolutionized, like, Steph Curry shooting threes and everyone shoots threes. It's not like Yasuo yeah. Puig started hitting singles up the middle and everyone started going second base. It was just exciting because it was different. But for everything – so, yes, Puig is a very exciting player to watch because he does a lot of things that other players wouldn't do because it is generally accepted that you shouldn't do those things. Like, right. just launch throws all over the field, hoping to throw people out on the slim chance that you What's do. What's a cutoff, man? Exactly. Or being really in base running, et cetera. So, so many people dislike that. Why do you think you enjoyed it as opposed to everybody that hated it? Because there are plenty of Dodgers fans that it really annoyed, that hated him for doing that. So, like, why, why do you think you chose to enjoy that so much while your kinfolk didn't like it? I think my timeline would make sense because I wasn't interested in baseball because it was kind of boring. It wasn't exciting as football and uh, other sports like basketball. And so when Yasiel Puig started doing that, that was my draw back into baseball. It wasn't what kept me in baseball. Yasiel Puig became kind of back in my mind after maybe yeah. a couple of years. Like it only took me one year for my favorite baseball player to be Clayton Kershaw. And it yeah. wasn't even close. Like, 2013 NLCS, you should have seen me. I was on a couch sitting there for maybe three or four hours after he lost game six. I, I was heartbroken. Um, but, yeah, so Yasiel Puig was my intro. Clayton Kershaw, the statistics, absolutely the statistics, and just the rest of baseball itself is what kept me in it. That's funny because I probably started watching basketball because of Jordan. 
like his last season was 98 and well his last the first time the second time <laughs> and and i cuz i remember the bulls winning 72 games but i don't remember watching it but i distinctly remember i watched him hit the game winner against utah for the sixth championship and i remember that but i and i remember kobe getting drafted and i saw kobe play in summer league so like the crossover of you know jordan and space jam and nike and all that really started cuz jordan will forever be my favorite basketball player like kobe is right there too well i guess kobe is probably my favorite player but jordan will always be the most important basketball player to me and like hold a high regard for me um so I guess it's kind of similar that Jordan is what drew me in like Puig did for you. And Kobe is what cemented the rest of my baseball or basketball life like Kershaw did for you. That is an, a perfect analogy to it because Yasiel Puig, it broke my heart when the Dodgers traded him because it was like a piece of me from 2013 that got me into yeah. baseball, got traded. But at the same time, he wasn't, he didn't need to be on the team when they won a World Series, or if they win a World Series. We haven't won a World Series in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be smiling down there, Jake. <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, but he didn't need to be part of that team. He was just—he just what brought me in. Yeah. And it's funny that you started as an Angels fan and then became a Dodger fan. I started as a Dodger fan and became an Angel fan. Oh, that's funny. You want to know what player brought me into baseball? I'd love to know. Jeff Mathis. <laughs> That's terrible. Just, he yeah, had why? my last name. He had my last name, spelled, and he played for the Angels. Yeah, but pronounced the same. Yeah. And he played for the Angels. Did you get a Mathis jersey, but with... No. I don't, I've never bought an actual baseball jersey. This one's like one of the free ones you get. Uh, they're really expensive, and... I did go to ten games last year, so maybe I should actually buy like a. Is this is this the one you're wearing? Uh, does it have the little symbol about? Um... It's a Mike Trout jersey for the folks at home. Yeah. Yeah. With the. Yeah. The side. It fits me. It literally fits me perfectly. Yeah. Which really is yours? In, yeah. Oh, well, mine's an XL. Mine's also an XL, but it's definitely not. Hey, Debo, you want a Trout jersey? <laughs> <laughs> Trout's. One of the only people I respect on that team, and I wish he he would leave. Who no. else do you respect on the Angels? I love Otani, but he's fresh okay. and he's kind of new. I liked Garrett Richards a lot, but no longer there. I like G Rich too. Did you um, play baseball? I did play baseball. I played like baseball. High school and stuff? I didn't play all the way through high school. I played up through um, like eighth grade. Whenever that I was be, say, like, if you school. played high school, you might have played against David Fletcher and Dominic Fletcher, who were two guys out of the OC area, Cypress area, who are now pros. Yeah, he's your second baseman, yeah. What? He's the second baseman of the Angels, right? S- second baseman, Jake, shortstop, Jake third baseman. He's gonna be, no, you he's think a, he's, he's going to be our opening day right fielder. He's a utility left fielder. No. Right, right fielder. Oh, okay, get it together. <laughs> I know these. We have to revisit. Outfield. Quick, quick sidestep, sidebar. 
we have to revisit this bet we made. We made a bet because Jake was sure that David Fletcher was going to start a game in the outfield before he started a game in the infield because he's a utility player. Because we have, um, I don't even know who our players are. We have Simmons at short, we have Lestella at second, and we have Rendon at third. So that's our infield, right? And then first base is going to be between Pujols and Otani and whatever. So, So as of right now, Fletcher doesn't have a spot there because those are Four established position, and then the outfield is Upton, Trout, and who do we bring in? We didn't bring Our, in. Oh, Joe Adele, well, right? Well, Adele. Well, I, I think Adele's gonna. Be, well, actually, with this season probably being shorter, we might get Adele. But my theory was we get Adele in mid June. Yeah. But now but we also who knows? we also still have Brian Goodwin. Yeah, um, Goodwin is. So, Probably who will start in the outfield, but I want Dan Fletcher necessarily to start because he's my favorite angel right now. But Fletcher's an infielder, and he thinks that Fletcher is going to make a fill-in start in the outfield before he makes a fill-in start in the infield. And so that is our bet. Uh, yeah. We made that, that bet. RL plays second base, and Lacella will be his switch in between him and Lacella. We made that bet assuming nobody gets hurt because that obviously would change stuff. It's just in the natural course of events, where would he first get a start filling in? But now that the season is getting, are we still keeping that bet for whenever the season starts? I would say yes. All right. I think he's you getting that out. Yeah, he's going to get that outfield start. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. It's not yeah. happening. He's not, he's not listed on the Angels depth chart online. Every outfield position has three spots. He's not listed on any of them. But he's listed as the second position at third, second, and short. There's no way. No way. Anyway, so yeah. you played baseball. Describe that a little bit more. <laughs> uh, I played from like six years old when you're just a little Shetland. You hit off a tee and you run the wrong way to third base instead of going to first. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does that. I didn't. Oh, all right. <laughs> Maybe not everyone. <laughs> I also didn't hit the ball very much, so. Yeah, I was, that's, that's also me though. I was not a great hitter. I was a good pitcher. But I was a good pitcher with, I think they just looked at me and they're like, oh, this kid throws left-handed. And that's interesting. But why does he throw everything as a changeup? <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as a fastball. I did not have a fastball. I could only throw like 20, 30 miles an hour and I could, <laughs> my hands are not big, so I would grip the ball with my entire hand. I still do today. I don't two seam anything. <laughs> and I just grip the entire ball and I throw it. But that's how a changeup's thrown. Yeah. So I had a nasty pickoff move though. Because lefties, that was like my thing. I almost yeah. walked somebody again on first just to pick them yeah, off. Yeah, just walk them intentionally this season. Well side story on walking people, but I would never walk anybody. I wouldn't allow it. So if it was 3-0 count, I would just throw him a cheese ball. <laughs> I just hated the feeling of walking somebody. To be fair, it's really hard to hit a slow-moving baseball. Yeah. Like when you're expecting it to be coming faster and it's just floating there, that's not the easiest thing in the world to hit because it's also hard to generate power. Like it's way easier to generate power off something 80-85 than it is off something 60-65. And obviously I mean, that's... I mean, that's, you know, that's talking high school level-ish. 
because pros are obviously much faster than that and younger nah, kids are obviously much slower than that. But <laughs> in general, like, do you, did you ever give up any home runs? Do you have any memory of that at all? There was one kid, Paul Resong, who. <laughs> I love the minds of pitchers that remember all that stuff. You never forget it. I, there yeah. was, well, this one you never forget because I probably pitched like five, six innings in this game. And this kid hit three homers off me. <laughs> I was getting everybody else out too. That's the, the worst part of the whole thing. And no, oh, man. I threw this pitch. I, th- I would throw in like high and inside or something, weird spots, and he would just golf it out. <laughs> and it was the only, the worst part too, the, he was the only three home runs the kid hit the whole year. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's just man. So he wasn't even some like monster that was raking everybody. He just happened to hit three off of you, and that's it. He was like the backup yeah. catcher. Like <laughs> I just I remember my dad coming out to the mound too to like take the ball away from me, and I was like, Dad, just leave me in. I want to hit him. I just I want to beat him. <laughs> I was like, I know I got twenty thirty mile an hour stuff, but <laughs> I got to do it. How old were you at the time? Probably fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> a little annoyed 10 or 11 year old Devo is just like I got him let me hit him dad yeah just throwing dingers just... <laughs> oh man but my yeah my key was the pickoff move and then even the non-pickoff move I loved because when you're playing in Little League everyone's on the fence yelling back and or like go steal or whatever yeah and so I would do a pickoff move where I would kick my foot up like Kershaw and then bring it down to like an inch above the dirt, looking like I was going to pick the kid off and then just go home just to hear the entire dugout yell back. And then the kid <laughs> dive back to first. <laughs> the, the, the sense of control that that would bring would probably be pretty fun to know that you are screwing with the entire team. Wouldn't that be really a Bach? No, technically not. As my, long as you don't. I wasn't doing anything yeah. weird. I would just bring my knee up and then just bring it down and hover it over the dirt instead of touch the ground and then just like kick slide it across. I remember I've seen one balk in my entire fandom of baseball and it was Hector Santiago when he did his like, he did like a weird like kick thing when he would pitch. Like, every, no, it was either Hector Santiago or Shoemaker. And they would do like a weird thing with their foot every single time they pitched, and the umpire called it for them, and I was I was livid <laughs> for every single pitch. But like in the third inning, he just called him like that's a balk. There are a couple pitchers who have weird starts and stops, and I can't think of any at the moment. But there are several where it's like that seems illegal. <laughs> Even, do you remember Johnny Quato? Johnny Cueto would do it. He would do, like, his pauses <laughs> and everything and then deliver home. Yeah. Yeah, some pitchers, like, do not have the same mechanic for their wind-up each time. They change, like, yeah. pitch to pitch. It changes whether there's a long pause, short pause, quick pitch, which I think is the way to go. I mean, it takes you out of a rhythm, but if you don't – I think that's an advantage because it really – Considers need that timing, and that's a huge part of it for some people. There was another pitcher who would jump off the rubber as he threw. 
Yeah, he would like push off really far and get six to eight inches forward before he let go. Yeah, I think Carter Caps. That's who is it was. that was that his name? Yeah, I the Marlins that. or something. Yeah. yeah, and he would just jump off the mound, and it seems so illegal. He got away with it for a while, but then I think they, I think Major League Baseball talked to him like, you can't actually do that. That's <laughs> not allowed. So you played through eighth grade. Did you not continue in high school because it was, you were not at that level or just because you chose to switch? I think, well, pitching wise, I was pretty awful still because I didn't throw fast. So even though I wouldn't walk anybody, my ERA was still like 12. <laughs> uh, but I couldn't hit. I was so bad at hitting. And I was I was honestly afraid of getting hit all the time from pitchers. Yeah. There was even like an instance where I told my dad going up to the plate, because I saw this kid warming up, and he's throwing like 65 back in eighth grade, which is really fast yeah. at the time. And I could just see how wild he was. And he was only wild into the left-handed batter's box. And I was like, Dad, I'm going to get hit if I go in there. And he's like, just go in there. And then I just got hit right in the middle of the leg. <laughs> just, it's the best spot to get hit. Yeah, but it left a huge bruise. and I was <laughs> Maybe it's more the fact that I knew it was coming. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> so I think getting I, hit is either the best or worst spot. You shouldn't just get hit at all. It's Agreed. really hard to get out of the way from 65 miles an hour at just, 50 feet. Just move, forehead. <laughs> all right, let's let's go to a batting. Let's go out to a field, and I'll pitch to you, and I can probably barely get to, like, 70. And uh, we'll see how fast you move. I could probably pitch 70. No. Yeah. No. I will bet a lot of money on that. I like these bets. We, I, I generally only bet if I know I'm right and I got one wrong. And as soon as I said I knew I was right, I knew I wasn't right and I regretted it. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to waste time trying to think of what it was. We were at the bowling alley and it was something that it was like a word or a spelling or I don't remember. And I was very upset with myself that I let that happen. Because now I don't have a perfect record against you anymore. I thought right, I put so it down you stopped playing notes, baseball. What did. did you play in high school? We've moved uh, on, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I asked the question. You do not get a word. <laughs> uh, Wait, you think you wrote the bet down in your notes? I'm thinking. I thought I did. I'm checking. I think this has no, to be No, it was a resolved. spur of the moment. It was a spur of the moment bet at bowling. No, but I, I would have remembered it to write down afterwards. So that way, I, I'd be happy. But I don't think I did. Yeah, it was really random. Anyway, so high school. Yeah. High school freshman year, I played the sport PE. Uh, <laughs> I played PE for my first year, and because I just didn't have a sport, I probably should have played soccer. In hindsight, all my friends that I ended up hanging out with for all soccer players. Um, but I just, I don't know, I just didn't feel comfortable going into anything. For sure not football. I was a solid four foot eight, four foot nine, <laughs> nine under 100 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I would have died. Um, so I just didn't play anything. I just did PE. But one of my best friends, um, he got me into tennis because his whole family is just superstar tennis players. His dad coached at USC. 
was a pro player. Now, like my best friend, he plays tennis pro as like a doubles player. And then the rest of them are all like amazing tennis players as well. And so I would go over to their house and just hang out. And they had this one really, really cool room that was just this empty wall, completely nothing in it except carpet, a wall, and a tennis net strung across the wall. (laughs) And you could just hit and just feed back and forth. And so I would just do that whenever I went over to his house. (laughs) It was the coolest room ever. How big was the room? It was massive. Massive. Because you could put a ping pong table in the middle of it. And then you'd have plenty of space like all around the sides and everything to like lay out and dive and everything. Wow. He had like a basketball hoop in there too. It was crazy. But so he got me into tennis because he would just teach me and give me little tips here and there. And then my grandfather really like got me into tennis and he taught me how to string my own rackets, taught me how to hit ground strokes. He'd feed balls to me like all day. At 80 years old, he'd be standing across there feeding me balls. <laughs> um, but I got into that in my second year and then played it for three years. And you just played singles all the way through or doubles? At any point? I only played doubles, actually. There were singles for, like, Frosh Soft in the beginning. But on the varsity level, and I'm sure you had experience with this playing tennis, is the yeah. guys who played singles we're just next level. All of them didn't even practice with us, actually. They all practiced in private lessons outside the tennis okay. facility, and they would do their own thing and just show up to matches. And the rest of us would just play doubles all day. I mean, I was at Milliken, so it wasn't quite the private school situation like that. But we, yeah, the singles guys would definitely do workouts and practice with just the singles guys and the doubles guys who play the doubles guys. Um, but the singles guys tended to be really, really good. And the doubles guys, you know, we're the ones that don't have the ability to cover an entire court on our own and hold our own. We need yep. help. So, yeah. But it was fun. Oh, I mean, it was fun. Who? Diva? Yes. I'm just Two, checking. You were like 03. <laughs> 2014. 14? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Plus it's fun to like have somebody with you <laughs> and have somebody to talk to while you're playing instead of just doing an entire thing by yourself alone. Yeah. Yeah. Cause tennis, tennis is a really mental sport. If you're yeah. playing singles, you don't get much communication at all. Even if you have coaches there, they can only give you so much, everything else in your head. But with doubles, yeah, you get that one person to feed off of and you get to pick that person. I thought that was the coolest part is we would like pick the person we'd be playing with for the whole year and we would train with that person the whole time. And then we'd go to all tournaments and play together the whole time. Well, that's different. We were assigned. I had three different doubles partners over four years. In tennis. Oh, wow. <laughs> some of them worked well and some of them did not, but it was fun either way. Yeah. Tennis is still, I think, one of my favorite sports I've played. It is a lot of fun. The one time we've played with... Two times. We've played two times now together, Jake. This is... is, uh, We can tell the story. You can read since uh, I wasn't at the first one. Well, you would have remembered it. (laughs) Either one of us can tell it because we were both there. No, we weren't. The only... (laughs) 
memory I have of any tennis situation involving Debo and our other friends, Crash, who's been on the podcast, and Ice, is I remember watching them play, and I remember watching Crash Ace Ice because that was a really big deal, but I was not involved in the actual playing of it. Like, I was just there to watch, and that is the story. And I'm sticking to it because I have no recollection of being on the court at any point. And this has been brought up and we had, we had talked about like going and playing, but it hadn't happened. And this is like two years ago now, two summers ago that we were talking about playing and it just kept not happening. And it was referenced. And I was like, so when are we finally going to go out and, get on the court once together and multiple of them were like we've all played together before i said no we have not i have not been on the court with you before. and so a couple of them a couple of you i think thought i was joking but then it really came to a head when we were driving back from a tournament last summer and you brought it up i'm pretty sure you brought it up yeah to be like no like you're just kidding right i was like no I for sure did not play with you guys. <laughs> so then you called, you called, or no, Crash and I. Crash. Yeah. Well, I texted Crash and he said yes, that I was for sure there. And then we called Ice and he said that I was for sure there. And they both specifically brought up Crash acing Ice. And I still to this day disagree that I participated. I think when I die, it's going to be the first question I ask God. <laughs> Was Jake at that first tennis match? Yeah. But if I was, that's really concerning. The fact that I don't remember at all. You're losing it, Jake. <laughs> that I agree I with. Not. There have been a lot of things that I don't remember or that I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably said that, but don't actually recall doing or saying things. I'll just be like, yeah, that sounds like me. Maybe I'll be winning bets more then. <laughs> <laughs> you, but it would have to be a like past thing. Like I'm most of the time when you bet me, it's like movie related or sport related. And I only bet those if I am sure that I am right. And generally I am. Ooh, should I ask Debo the question that I asked Josh and that I asked you, Jake, and see if he knows? Yes, I saw my, my knee on the desk so hard. It did make a pretty loud sound. I'm curious if that is going to show up on the recording. Okay, so here's the question. Because our previous guest on the show was our friend Josh. Two two guests ago. Our is, this a right, is this a right or wrong answer? Yes, it is no. fact, oh, okay. fact-based. Okay. Oh, okay. Kind of. And so he is currently a pitcher for LMU. And he, I said, you know, we were going to ask baseball questions because he's spent his whole life playing baseball and watching baseball. So his response to that was, okay, I'll have to study up. So I am, I was like, it's your life. What do you mean you have to study? <laughs> so then I, for fun, I asked him a couple historical questions. And so the first question was based on the fact that at the house a couple weeks ago, we were playing a game called Ask Google something like that. And it's a really fun board game that the questions are all 
Like the game can be relevant for a really long time because some of the questions are things like, how long will it take you to walk to San Diego? And you have to write down your answer in days, hours, and minutes. Well, that could be from anywhere in the world. That could be at any time, right? So it's stuff like that that will hold or trivia that will hold. So one of the things is you have multiple questions that, so I'm going to ask the question and we all have the opportunity to write it down. And then you ask Google and Google tells you this is the answer. And whether you got it right or wrong, you know, you get points or whatever. So the question I asked was this question. (laughs) What year, what year were the Cincinnati Reds baseball team formed? Jake, don't do this to me. Um, And so here, I'm not going to tell you the answer, but I am going to tell you that I knew around the right date. And I was pretty sure it was within a couple years. And so I wrote down the year that I was most sure of, and it was the right answer. Oh, and everyone cool. else at the table got really mad at me. <laughs> I don't think they started as the Cincinnati Reds, though. So is this – because Cincinnati Reds is one of the old school teams. I will give you a hint. They did start as the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, they did. Okay, I'm going to go – 1892. So that is much closer than everyone else because the follow-up question I asked because Josh's response was 1923. So then my next question was, when was the first World Series? Do you know the answer to that? I would guess like, oh man, I don't even know. I, I would guess also in the 1800s. No, 1903. Okay. So the first World Series is 1903, but Major League Baseball, in some effect, existed before the actual implementation of the World Series. So the Reds were formed in 1881. I was kind of close-ish. Yeah, you were super close because everyone else was thinking like 1910s, 1920s. Somebody, when we guessed, was like 1966. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, chuckle. But Kyle jokingly, Kyle jokingly was like, ah, 1860 something, like just said it out loud. And then he wrote an answer in the 1900s. And I was like, after the fact, I said, you were much closer than you thought you were. <laughs> and so I got in a lot of trouble for knowing 1881. And even Josh was like, why would, why would anyone know that? You know, baseball is the most statistics oriented history predicated sport there is. Like, that's why. That's what I spent my entire childhood doing was remembering stupid stuff like that. I'd say getting the year, though, is so hard. I'm not great at that stuff. Dates and years. I just, I'm trying to think of why. There was something about them that really, because their first captain, his name was Cap Anson. I forgot his actual first name, but he was called Cap because captain. Um, He was, like, the first legitimate Major League Baseball player. and I, I don't know why that intrigued me when I was 10, 11 years old. Like, this is something I've known for 20 plus years because it was interesting information because that's how baseball, that's how baseball is. It's fun to know these certain things. It's fun to know the first All-Star game was 1933 in Crosley Field. Like, that kind of stuff is, you know, that's just, and that there were exactly four years where there were two All-Star games in a year. Did you know that? I did not know that. 1959 through 1962, there was a mid-season all-star game and a post-season all-star game. 
So hey, what if you just remember like really weird, obscure baseball facts? <laughs> I, you but everything else just, is void. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, I mean, I know random other things too, but yeah, <laughs> I just, I spent a lot of time, you know, on baseball stuff when I was young, as opposed to football or basketball um, or hockey. So it was just really fun to, to have that. So there you go. That's our baseball trivia for the day. I want to show you my baseball card collection from the nineties. Heck yeah. See, and that's the thing. And Lotto was talking to me about it the other day that he found all his baseball cards and you were talking to him about them. Um, I used to love baseball cards when I was little. Baseball cards were necessary before the internet. Yeah. Baseball cards, baseball cards were how you learned information before the internet. That's where you knew their batting averages and their hits and home runs and RBIs and stuff. You couldn't get that information unless you were buying magazines and things. So it was just fun to have baseball cards and do that. Yeah. Um, I have a box of probably like 25 pounds of worth of baseball cards. Uh, most probably most houses in America, somebody has a large box of baseball cards hidden somewhere. I brought mine back organized home. And like in yeah. like things, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just recently was going through all of mine because I brought him back home to the apartment to show Lotto because he had yeah. found his, and we we're just going through all of them. I also have a large amount of Pokemon cards, but we don't. I know. We don't to go there right <laughs> That's now. cool. Hey, I got that too. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, high school ends. You finish tennis. You go to college, and you pick up another sport. How did you get into playing Ultimate? The first time I played any kind of Ultimate Frisbee was actually probably in middle school, but it was just 2v2 with, like, my brother and one of my neighborhood friends and then his brother. And we showed up to a park, and we set up, like, a soccer field. We played on one of those, like, AYSO soccer fields, and it has the little tiny goal and so our yeah. variation of ultimate was that you had to be in a box and catch it in that box. Yeah. But you had the sides as well. So you could go all around. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but that's probably the first time I ever played ultimate, but going into college, I had absolutely no idea. All I knew though was that I did want to do something for four or five years, if it took me five years. Um, yeah. because of tennis, because I missed that first year of tennis in high school. It made me really bummed out when I thought about it in my last year of high school, how much better I could have been if I'd played a whole nother year, if I'd started just a little bit earlier. And yeah. so I knew whatever I was doing in college, I was doing it from the get-go, and I was going to try and ride it out the whole way through. And Ultimate Frisbee, I was just walking by a table one day, and I think Crash, Conzi, Ice were there, and they just were like, hey, you want to play Ultimate? I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> And then just showed up to practice and yeah. So from showing up to practice and sticking around, like what was it that made you want to keep playing? What is it about ultimate that, um, that intrigued you, that challenged you, that made you want to be a member of the team for an extended amount of time and to continue to play at a high level? I think at the beginning, that first practice that I showed up to, it was Coach Smeltzer, uh, who's one of the owners of the Aviators. But Coach Smeltzer 
had a whole practice plan set up where he was timing people's 40 yard dash. He was testing our vertical. We had a three cone drill and I was there in like tennis shoes and he had us do like cutting drills on the first day, like cutting and then catching discs and then turning around and throwing it. And I remember thinking to myself after the first practice, I was like, Oh my goodness, this isn't a joke. This is an actual (laughs) sport. There is a coach out here. These guys all have cleats on and this is legit. Did that make you want to keep coming back more or did that intimidate you a little bit? Oh, that made me want to keep coming back because I was like, I remember those times playing before with just my neighbors and it was fun. It was like a really fun sport to play, but there wasn't that real competitiveness to it. But then you could tell that there was that competitive edge and there was a lot to learn in the sport too. That was the other exciting part is I could tell how far behind I was from all these guys who've been playing for a while, how great Mm -hmm. their throws were. And I was like, oh, I want to be that. So what was your overall college experience like with Ultimate um, from, like, how much success do you feel like you had? How much growth did you have? Um, who were some of the key people that, like, pushed you and influenced you and, and made you want to get better? Um, that kind of stuff. Um, so college experience with it. My first couple years, I was pretty isolated. Like I wouldn't go to the community events, like any kind of house parties or anything like that. Um, I wouldn't really show up to any of that. I just was kind of more to myself my first couple years in college. And then I think my growth in Ultimate actually started once I started opening up and hanging out with a lot more guys. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot more comfortable around hanging out with the team. Um, and from that point on, it was Conzi and Crash because they were the two captains after I started like kind of going out with the team and everything. They were the captains at the time and they really pushed me. They like drove me to be a lot better ultimate player than I was at the time because I thought I was nothing. <laughs> I thought I had no talent whatsoever, but they saw something in me and just kept pushing me. Crash would bring me to the club tryouts, the LA Republic tryout with like all those aviator guys. And I thought yeah. it was easily the worst player on that field, but he's like, you could get better. You could, you know, you could be a lot better ultimate player if you put in work. And so I just did. And so Conzi and Crash for sure were the, the motivators throughout my ultimate career. Success wise. How successful? Not a lot uh, through the entire ultimate career. Probably won four sectionals games. There was one solid year back in 2016 when it was Conzi and Crash and we had Ice and a few other guys who were really solid on that team where we made a pretty decent run. We played Pomona in a game to go to the game <laughs> to go to regionals. That's yeah. saying that out loud is essentially the summary of my <laughs> ultimate career at Long Beach State. <laughs> the fact that I was excited yeah. to be in the game to go to the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, success wise, I think the final year, final year, I thought we could have made a decent run. There were quite a few mistakes that stand out in my mind. The mistakes always stand out a lot more than any kind of success. Yeah. But the mistakes for sure stand out, especially in a UCSD game that we played. It was one of the most exciting ultimate games I think I've played to date where we just stormed back against a team we shouldn't have even been in the game with. And 
the game essentially ended with me throwing two terrible throws trying to get through like a zone cup and just didn't make it through and they got hand blocked and yeah but ultimate career wrapped up that season but I still had a drive and passion to keep playing even after college was just something that I was wondering if I was going to have or if it was just going to end right there well, fast forward, it didn't end there, and you have advanced a little bit further. So what has that process been like? That process has been exciting. Through my entire ultimate career in college, I never hit the gym once. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what any kind of workout was, not even like a bicep curl. <laughs> so I had read Ryan Smith, uh, another Los Angeles aviator. Uh, he was pretty much teaching me the ropes of how to work out this past year and starting to to grind toward getting better physical shape to become an even better ultimate player. I think that part's been the most exciting is now now in the post ultimate career, you're surrounded only by people who actually care about the sport. Because yeah. if you were in college and you just wanted community and after college is over you want an ultimate to fizzle out you could still be present. You could still show up to all the ultimate things you wanted to. But post-college, if you're playing ultimate Frisbee for a club team or you're playing for a pro team, it's because you want to be there. You don't have to be there at all. And so it's exciting being around a lot of people who really, really care about the sport. So you put in a lot of work, and your goal was to get to the professional level. So. Right, that was a goal you had in mind as you were putting in all this new work. Yes. So, so the lead to that. <laughs> <laughs> so you you are named going into the 2019 season. You're named a practice player for the Aviators, right? Right. Um, reaching did that feel like? Was it disappointing? at that point to not be on the roster or was it exciting that you had reached the point of being a practice player? Like, where were you on that spectrum? Were you, were you stoked that you had gotten to that level and that was showing that it was paying off and you knew you had a lot of work to go or had you felt like you put in the work and you felt like you were at the level to be on the field and you were disappointed that that hadn't quite happened yet. What was, what was your level of accomplishment being named to practice player? For sure, excitement, because, I mean, height height in all sports that I've played throughout my entire life played a huge role. Huge. Ah. <laughs> um, that was a Jake <laughs> quality. <laughs> that one was for you, Jake. Continue. Um, <laughs> but that played a really big role for me because – Height kept me from playing on the basketball teams, even though I was quick. Height kept me from, I don't know, having an even greater tennis serve because you hit down the ball. And so height for ultimate, I thought, would always keep me away from playing pro. And I never even thought I had a chance really at making the aviators. And so when I was offered a practice player spot, it was like, oh, there actually is something here. There actually, there's something that they're looking at that I could grow into and become a pro player because I saw that as a sign that if they, if they didn't see any kind of potential in me at all, they wouldn't have offered me that in the first place. 
they yeah. saw something that I could grow upon and get better at. I'm not going to, you know, all of a sudden roof Sean McDougal or <laughs> any of those guys. Yeah. I'm not going to roof a Jacob Bomber. But there is there is a room for me in Ultimate as a quick player that I can find my my little area of work and become an expert in. So as the season is progressing, practice players have not necessarily specific roles, but you you have a role to play on the team, even if it isn't being on the field game time. What was it like to fill that role as the season is progressing? And then your role changed late in the season. What what did that role switch? How did that feel? In the beginning, it was incredibly exciting being just being on the field. I remember going down to our first game down in San Diego to be on the field with Lotto as practice players. And it was yeah. just such a cool environment that we were just soaking everything in. It was like sunset. You guys are playing ultimate. I mean, we're kind of carefree because we don't have to do any prep. We're just watching, but we get to be on the field. Yeah. Um, as the season went on, I think I was just growing more anxious of wanting to be on that field, like feeling like I could participate and could play, knowing that I probably wasn't going to. But at the same time, it was still cool being on the field with all those guys, seeing pretty up close their level of ultimate and knowing that's something that I got to get to to play. From the beginning of the season, I was kind of told that there was maybe an opportunity late in the season for me to play. Mm-hmm. I didn't really take it too seriously about like halfway through the season because I was like, okay, I mean, I've seen the way this is going. Our team's really good. There's not really a role for me to fill on this team. And then we were down in San Diego and Lotto and I were standing on the sideline. <laughs> this is like uh, maybe the third third time going back to San Diego. Yeah. And Sonia called me over and she just like whispered something in my ear and she was like, just make sure you're ready. Just something could happen. <laughs> And I remember just turning around and looking at Lotto. <laughs> just like, oh my God. <laughs> but, um, so then eventually two weeks later, flash forward, we're in San Jose playing and I got a call up to be on the, on the team for that game. And so getting, getting that call, getting put in that position, what, what was your reaction? Who, were you telling people like what, what was happening there? And then what was the feeling when you finally stepped on the field in, in uniform, in uniform for gameplay? So reaction at first, I mean, I was just like reaching out to all the people, a who cared a lot about me during ultimate. So Conzi and crash, like I texted both of them just about like how they inspired me to get to that point and saw something in me to get, to be able to play in a game, which is mm-hmm. a really cool thing to like reach back to somebody like that who's inspired you the whole way through. And then the same thing with um, Coach Smeltzer, because Coach Smeltzer is essentially the reason we're playing. I mean, he's an owner of the team, and he's funding this. And the fact that he as an owner also sees something in me to be able to play on his team is incredible. And then on top of that, he was my first coach. Yeah. So to be able to reach out to him was really cool too. Um, And then calling parents and everything, family, Parents took it really cool because I told them, <laughs> I was like, I don't know which way my ultimate career is about to go. This could be the only game that I play in this league. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to go to the game or at least stream it, that'd be cool. 
And so they drove actually all the way from, from Long Beach up to San Jose and then just stayed there over the weekend and watched that game. And we're at that game. That's crazy. That's so cool. So what was it like stepping on the field for the first time? I had for sure jitters in the locker room. There's the yeah. obvious nerves. Um, once I was on the field actually, or on the sideline about to go and play on the field, maybe four or five points had gone by where we hadn't played online and we were on a line together. Jake, so you probably yeah. know this. I think you might have played a couple points though here in between. But I was yeah. dedicated to just one line. And I thought that line honestly was never going to get called. And I was going to have to <laughs> tell my parents after the game, like, this is just it's the way it goes. <laughs> Sometimes you don't play. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then finally, like, Bacon called that line. And stepping across, it was all super quick because they just said, oh, you got this guy, you got this guy. And yeah. I just had all these, like, PTSD moments of the renegade tryout <laughs> when or is not oh, renegade man. but republic but when republic, i would just yeah. yeah get roasted by all these guys and so i just remember thinking like what if i'm not fast enough what if i can't keep up with these guys and on the very first play that i was in the guy did an upline and i was able to like put my body and step in front and like absorb it and then like defend it well enough that he didn't get it and I remember hearing people on the sideline and at that moment I was like, okay, I can play. I can, I can be here. I can, I can hang with these guys. I'm not going to embarrass myself. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to think when at some point we were on a line together and it had to have been a D point and I, <laughs> I remember going into the game like, I wanted you to score so bad. And I wanted you to score so bad that I made two separate terrible decisions and throws the effort of getting you this in the end zone. And I greatly appreciate those. (laughs) Throws that (laughs) – because it was – it helped that in that game against San Jose, we had taken a fair enough lead in the fourth quarter that – it was okay to like screw up a point or two because we were up. I want to say we were up by at least five. I think we were yeah. up five or six on the first attempt I had. And man, you made a perfect deep cut <laughs> and I made a very imperfect throw. And out of like every throw that I would generally put, the one that I threw the inside backhand is like my least favorite, but. You were so open and there was so much room that if I just put a good throw, it would have been fine. And instead I put a terrible throw and that didn't work out. (laughs) So I was, I was really mad at myself for that. I remember running that thing down. Oh, I was just saying, I remember running that thing down thinking like, Oh, I'm going to lay out for this. Like no matter what. And then I still was just not even close. I was like, it'll be embarrassing no, at this point. <laughs> no <laughs> chance. Yeah. No <laughs> chance to make any kind of play on. I was very upset on myself. And then the second one, I was bringing the disc in off of a timeout on the sideline. And I had a double team on me and I tried to, sc- to throw a scuba over the top. And if I would have thrown a good scuba, it would have been fine. 
but it floated and you got beat in the air by somebody taller. And I was again, very upset at myself for blowing an opportunity. I have flashbacks but, to that moment though. Cause I should have got that disc still. I still should have caught it. I still have, <laughs> I still have like memories of not like putting my body there and like boxing no. out or anything. But you did, you didn't go scoreless. You did score in that game. I did score. I don't remember the circumstance. Do you remember what the play was? I think it was honestly, maybe the play was just called Debo score. (laughs) 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 If you did hindsight, I think our team had just got a block on the end zone line. We had called a timeout. Coach subbed on the D2 line, which is my line. Mm -hmm. I was not set up for the ISO cut, so maybe it wasn't like intentionally for me to score. But he set our lineup out there. And then two people, I think, made cuts in front of me in the end zone. And I have absolutely no idea why. But the guy playing against me just gave me all this room. And I didn't really have to even do much. I just kind of stepped out into the break side. And Kurtz just pushed it over to me. And that was it. I still have zero goals, by the way, though, on AUDL.com. So (laughs) it didn't actually happen. To be fair, their their stat keeping system, while better than nothing, is far from perfect. So it's not not super reliable. But considering I was a stat first... keeper, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's its own fun story. Um, but scoring your first goal as a professional athlete in front of family and in front of all these people had to be a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, I think. Easily the coolest part about the whole thing, which I didn't really know was going on, but there was a watch party happening back at my apartment. And oh, yeah. so I saw like 15, 20 of friends, including like Konzi and Crash were there. And they're all just watching the game. And then when I scored, like Lotto panned the video around, everyone's going nuts. And so yeah. when I got to the locker room after the game, that's like the video that's on my phone. And so that was just a really cool moment watching that and getting texts from people and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. My family actually validating the sport. (laughs) (laughs) Much harder to do than it sounds. You would think family would be super 100% supportive from the start, but most of them are not. (laughs) I think family family and work were both the same way. Anytime I mentioned anything Ultimate Frisbee related, it just glossed over them. But then once I said I was playing in a professional game, all of a sudden people would come over and talk to me and be like, Oh, so what's going on? Like, how's the team doing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It just validated everything. They definitely require an extra bit before they allow themselves to be in. Yep. (laughs) So professional segue, you mentioned work. What do you do for work? I am an HVAC engineer, which stands for heating, ventilation, air conditioning. But we do it for commercial buildings. And so essentially what I do for a living is I work as a consultant in a firm where we do the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, we do like telecom, like fire alarm, pretty much all the internals of a building. And then we work hand in hand with an architect and a structural engineer to go and build buildings. (laughs) And so we work on them from the ground up or we'll work on existing buildings, like gutting a building and completely renovating it. Uh, each project is completely different, but it's pretty exciting. 
So I don't imagine you get a mechanical engineering degree and instantly say, this is the exact situation I want to go into is doing heating, ventilation, air conditioning. So how did you get in that position? Uh, well, I first got interested in being an engineer freshman year of college when I had to pick my degree. <laughs> and I had no idea really what I wanted to do. But I knew I liked math and physics. And my family has an extensive background in engineering. My grandfather was a civil engineer. Uncles are all civil engineers. So I was like, what if I just start as a civil engineer and just see where it all goes? Mm-hmm. So I just started there. And you take a, you take your basic level courses to start and it gives you kind of a broader perspective on all the engineering disciplines. And I took this yeah. one class called statics, which is just the study of bodies not in motion, just static beings and static structures. And that's essentially what civil engineers will end up doing for the rest of their lives. And I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> I need more than this. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't enough. And so I just was sitting one day outside of a chemistry lab and I was like reflecting on everything. I just decided in an instant, I'm going to switch to mechanical engineering because there's way broader opportunities and it'll give me more time to delay thinking about what I actually want to do <laughs> with my life. <laughs> nice. Um, but then that was in my second year and it didn't, it wasn't even until my third year where I had to take this class I didn't know how to take, which is mechanical engineering 101. And I I tried to opt out of it. I tried to get it canceled and just wave, but they wouldn't let me do it. And so I went into that class and a member, Melissa Amaya from P2S, came in and gave a whole presentation about the HVAC industry and about P2S in general and their like green efforts and what the type of engineering is, which involves like thermodynamics. And she was relating it to the courses we were taking, like fluid dynamics and those were all the courses that I absolutely loved. Yeah. And so I was like, I love this company. I want to work for this company. <laughs> I'm going to like do everything I can to work for them. And so I, I gave my resume over at a job fair to one of the, the people didn't even know this, but the guy I was giving my resume to was one of the sons of like the CEO. Oh, wow. And he had taken it's a, my resume. It's a good person to hand your resume to. Yeah. <laughs> And I think he had taken my resume and put it on the bottom because I heard absolutely, I heard absolutely nothing from them for the solid two, three weeks. I had applied online, done everything in my power to work there. It was the number one place and pretty much the only place I wanted to work over the summer as an intern. And one day my dad goes to this church party and he's just kind of talking around with a few of the guys. One guy comes up to him and is just, they're talking about life in general and he ends up just bringing up me and how I'm looking for a job. And so he, they're kind of discussing and it ends up being that this guy knows a CEO of a company that's always looking for mechanical engineers. The guy who owns the company is a Servite grad. And so there's a super strong connection there. Um, and so my dad comes home and he's like, I have this connection for you. I know you're looking for an internship over the summer. Like you can just work at this company. I know it's maybe not what you're looking for. Uh, and I was like, okay, that's fine. Just tell me whatever the company name is. And he's like, uh, I think it's like P2S. And I was <laughs> like, are you kidding me? 
<laughs> he's like, no, why? I'm like, it's the only place I'm trying to apply to and work at. <laughs> so it was absolutely insane. A week later, I had an interview. A week after that, I was interning at P2S. <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty happy set of circumstances to work in your favor there. Yeah, incredible. I did absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, what what does your job even look like? What is what do you do practically? Like, if you're to describe a work day or a work week, what are you physically actually producing? Who are you talking to? What what is it that you do? So, everything that we produce as consultant engineers is drawings, and so. It used to be back in the day that they would hand draw everything, which is absolutely wild when you go look at some of these architectural and mechanical electrical engineering drawings and you see that they're hand drawn. It's absolutely nuts because (laughs) the level of detail that's there for something is crazy. But now we get to use computers, thankfully. So we use a software called AutoCAD. And that's just a, a graphic design tool that lets us model in a 2D space a building. And then we model over top of that each discipline that we need. Mm -hmm. And each discipline will then go and coordinate. So within our office, I'll talk to, for like mechanical equipment, I'll tell them like the electrical requirements that I have. Um, We have plumbing engineers, so I'll tell them like the plumbing requirements that I have. And each discipline will do their own thing. And then we'll all incorporate our drawings all together and package it for a customer. And so on a day-to-day basis, I'm CAD designing, doing my engineering like calculations to do the design. And then it usually involves also having meetings either with the client or just meetings where we coordinate and make sure everything's going to work together. So is that like you work on one client at a time and as soon as you get one client done, you move on to the next one and it's linear like that? Or are you working on multiple clients at a time? What does that look like? So we each have our own groups and my group is advanced technology, but we just work on different, different clients, but we have our main go-tos like for myself, pretty much the only client that I'll work on is Boeing. And so I've developed pretty strong relationships with all the guys there. Like I know most of them, I know, you know, personal things about each one of them. And so I imagine that's the reason they want to keep me working on Boeing is because they see a consistent face. They see the same engineer showing up to meetings. Yeah. And so I'll work on their stuff right now. I'm in a stage in my career where I don't project seek. I am given projects. So my, my boss will go out and reach out to the clients and see what work needs to be done with the relationships that we've all built. Sometimes clients will actually reach out to us and say, Hey, we need this done. Can you provide your services? Um, and that's something that I want to get to in the future is more of the business side of engineering. But right now I'm, I'm in a stage where I'm given projects and I'll do the design and engineering and then it'll get reviewed, but I won't do any project seeking. So your goal is to get to a point where you're like the go between where you're the one making connections and for lack of a better word, like dispatching, like being the one that finds it, finds the work and disperses it amongst who's going to do the work, like kind of like that. Exactly. I I think that'd be, so that'd be a really fun job. And 
what also comes with that is you have to have a knowledge base of every discipline. Yeah. Because you don't just focus on your one thing when a project comes your way. You have to know a little bit about everything to understand how much a project's actually worth. Um, yeah. The value of the project in total, like how much a building's going to be worth, what P2S side of it will be, how much like we'll have to expense for it. And there's a lot of fun Excel calculations for that. Like a lot of fun income stuff that I would like to get involved in. So how far down the line is that? Is that 10, 15, 20 years down the line? Is that a couple years down the line? What is it experience based? Is there somebody in the way that would have to retire or move on? Like what is you looking forward? What needs to happen in order for you to move forward in that way? I think it's kind of a mix of both. Um, I would say it's a solid five years until I was leading like an engineering team and I was the person in charge of all of that. There's like stages that you go through as project managers um, and things along the way that like help guide you to get to that point. But it's not necessarily that like waiting somebody out and retiring P2S itself is growing like exponentially incredibly quickly. And so new departments pop up all the time and new spaces pop up all the time. And so I'm pretty comfortable with the fact that P2S is going to keep growing and there will be job opportunities there. And even if not, I think the experience that I'm getting at P2S right now would lead me either into like my own company um, because sidebar I passed like my professional engineering license. I'm just kind of waiting it out now. So within like six, I think about eight months, I'll be completely licensed. And then, um, yeah, so I could either go down a route of creating my own company or moving up within P2S as like a fully licensed engineer. Got um, So I've been curious. My job, my job in, did I cut out for a second or something? Yeah, because yeah. you were switching and it, it takes a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little <laughs> The, the, one of my AirPods died and it happened last time, but I didn't know and it made a sound. I was like, Oh, I know what the sound means. So I should have waited a sec. But so the preface of my question was as a youth pastor, it's very easy for me to like bring up my work in casual conversation. Um, just for the nature of what it is. And so it's very easy to talk about the things that are going on or what's happening, this and that. How easy is it for you to be in a casual context and talk about work? Because that's like, it's such a specific field and it's such a specific thing that would be hard for most people to relate to because my job is literally talking to people and hanging out with people. So that relates to every conversation ever. So how, how much of your work spills over into social life? Because I feel like the only time I ever hear about your work is when I like we've had now, this is like our second or third conversation that has (laughs) gone into any kind of detail about your work at all. So do you, do you find that it's just hard to do that or do you actively avoid that? What does that look like? I don't think it's an avoidance thing. I think it is like an incredibly difficult, not incredibly difficult, but a difficult topic to bring up Um, only because when I like reflect back to like engineering through college, even HVAC as a mechanical yeah. engineer in college is something that's pretty buried and like a little niche that's unknown. 
we have a class that would rotate once every four years that would discuss HVAC engineering. So it's it's not even something known within oh. our own discipline. And so bringing it up to people, the first thing that, that they immediately think of is that I go on top of roofs and fix air conditioning equipment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes it's just not even worth fighting people. And it's just like, sure, yep, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> And then other times just go through and explain to them, you know, essentially what I just told you is I explain it in terms of an entire building because I think it's easier to see once it's big picture. When I say I work on an entire building, it's a lot easier than me saying I work on ductwork above a ceiling that will help cool a space. And it's it just it's too refined. It's too too niche for people to like really relate to. But people can relate to seeing a building going, oh, somebody had to build that. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Well, <laughs> we've covered a few bases in very deep detail. So <laughs> this has been pretty productive for people who care about baseball ultimate and <laughs> HVAC engineering. <laughs> If not, um, don't listen, or why have you listened up to this point? Well, well it's too late. If they made it this far, <laughs> then they're doing better than most of our other podcasts. <laughs> um, Jake, do you have anything you'd like to add? Or <laughs> So one of my favorite things about the Ultimate com- Community, um, I could say that because I've played successfully one game, and I did great. Um, <laughs> wh- how did you get your nickname, and like, what does it mean? Um, my nickname is slightly racist. Um, (laughs) Oh, I was was given my nickname. I mean, not necessarily racist, but you could take it that way. My nickname is Debo, spelled D-E-B-O. It's supposed to actually be spelled D-E-E-B-O, but Crash, Crash spelled it wrong on the disc. And it just stuck. <laughs> that's the way it goes. And that's it. Um, but Debo is a, a Pittsburgh Steeler. And so when they were naming me, they're like, oh, this guy's a really big Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Um, maybe we look at one of the players and see what their nicknames are. And they came across James Harrison. They're like, oh, yeah, this dude looks just like Debo. <laughs> they're like, he looks just <laughs> like him. <laughs> so we should nickname him this guy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I can he's, see the resemblance. He's also six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Very different looking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's half ironic. Which is funny because a while ago there was a picture going around of Adrian Peterson when he was on the sideline during a game and he was wearing a plaid jacket and he looked exactly <laughs> like Devo. Like I can see why James Harrison would draw some comparisons, but he doesn't. To me, that comparison isn't super accurate. But the way Adrian Peterson looked, compa- it was like, oh man, this is incredible. Um, but You're gonna hate me for this too. I've never even seen the movie Friday. I mean, it's it's definitely before your time. Like it's. 
And I wouldn't suggest next Friday or Friday after next. Like those are terrible sequels. Oh, I thought you were um, telling me like don't watch it next Friday. <laughs> oh, no, those are the the sequels of Friday are next Friday and Friday after next. There's um, some terrible. Not, there not are some great. great puns there that can yeah, be used. Exactly. But when the do you first see Friday, the first Friday is, I mean. Ice Cube, Chris Tucker, a bunch of other people. It's hilarious. It's a classic. It's great. It's it's for the adult community. Um, but it's in the same like uh, Boys in the Hood. Like it's that kind of old school. Like there's no way you've seen Boys in the Hood, right? Nope. Yeah. So um, that's it's an older like it's even probably a little old for me. And I can't even tell you why I watched either of those movies because I am not the demographic for those movies in any way, shape, or form. Um, but they're great movies. Um, Friday is more of a comedy. Boys in the Hood is definitely much more serious. Um, but they both tell a story of urban life that is important. Like, I think it was good for me as a middle-class white suburb kid to watch those movies and have a sense of, cause they're black, uh, casts and with black directors and like telling their version of life growing up essentially. And so I don't know how we got into this deep of a conversation <laughs> based off of it, but I think they're really good for that kind of thing. The same reason like Moonlight was really important for people to watch a couple years ago movies like that they tell a they're a very good honest depiction of aspects of life that most of us don't get to see and help us gain a little bit of understanding of something we would never experience otherwise so i encourage them being watched at an appropriate age and in an appropriate mindset um but yeah the fact that you are nicknamed for a very large aggressive black man is fantastic so that's pretty funny. And we didn't even talk about football, and you're a huge Steelers fan. I haven't had oh, well. a great great run with the Steelers in the past few years, so it's okay. <laughs> we don't need to bring back those dark memories. That's fine. We will just end on that really high note instead. <laughs> <laughs> Go on with our lives. Um, all right, well. Debo, thank you for making time this late in the evening for us. Jake, thanks for uh, giving us your attention. <laughs> staying, <laughs> staying cognizant at 10 o'clock at night. No, I'm ready for bed. Yeah. Get us, get us out of here. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Um, this was, uh, from Bob's office, F-R-O-M-B-O-B-S-F-F-I-C-E. You can find us on social medias at from Bob's office. Um, I hope you guys had a wonderful weekend and a wonderful day. We'll see you while we're recording tomorrow. I don't know if we'll be up tomorrow, but we're recording tomorrow, so maybe we'll see you tomorrow. That's long words. I said real fast. Have a great night. Jake Mathis. I'm Jacob Bomber. Ebo. <laughs> he sounded like Wally day. right there. That did really sound like Wally. Like Wally. Debo. And on that note... I was saying, I was like, no, you can push it. Stop talking. The people need to go. I need to stop recording. And on that note. And on that note. Oh my God.